Hey, you're listening to an Upbeat Rewind featuring John Lurito on October 5th, 2020. John is a keynote speaker, business consultant, leadership expert, and host of the Tomorrow's Leadership podcast. And in this episode, not only do we discuss leadership in the sense of leading other people, but also we talk about how to lead ourselves first and how the truest form of leaders are authentic leaders. You're listening to an Upbeat Rewind featuring John Lurito. This is Upbeat with beatboxer, musician, speaker, and show host, Parker Kelly. John, thank you very much for joining me on Upbeats. I appreciate it. Yeah, you got it, Parker. Great to be here. We're so excited for this. Uh, I love starting episodes with stories. So if you could just share with the listeners and myself a little bit more about yourself, you can be as broad as you want from childhood till now, just kind of your story getting to where you are today. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, well, where to start? Uh, I guess I, I've always, uh, you know, I grew up in a great, great family. I have a twin sister. Uh, many people ask if we're identical, believe it or not. We're not. We're, um, she's female, I'm male. So, <laughs> but uh, in any event, um, we I grew up in a great family. Um, you know, I had an opportunity to play some sports and, you know, that played a big part into my life um, eventually because I think you learn a lot through that. I certainly learned a lot about leadership in that. Um, and I ended up uh, growing up mostly in Jersey. I've moved around a little fun fact. I've moved around over 30 times in my life. Uh, I'm 49 right now. So it's uh, an unbelievable amount of change that I've gone through. Mostly, if not entirely positive, uh, definitely helped me step outside my comfort zone. But uh, for 20 years of my life, I suffered from really major panic attacks. I had like this major social anxiety at times where I had difficulty having a conversation one-on-one with people, literally. Like I would, I'd freeze up, I'd turn red, I'd start dripping sweat and people would think I was having a heart attack or something. And um, I slowly kind of conquered the little panic attacks. I never, I never talked to anybody about it, even my family. Never, ever mentioned even the word panic attack because I thought if I talked about it, it would make it worse. And uh, so I, I actually kind of did this little self journey of trying to overcome it myself which took a lot longer than it should have. Um, and I, I think I hit rock bottom. One day I, I got on a stage. I was talking in front of 70 people. Uh, and this was relatively early in my career. I'd been asked to talk about something I was having some success with. So it should have been an honor. And, and it was. But I, uh, I froze up. I, uh, I had a major panic attack right in front of everybody. And uh, I, I could not get, I couldn't breathe. I couldn't talk. Uh, I had people staring at me like wondering, okay, what's going on? And um, I turned around to write something on the board just to buy some time. And I ended up, uh, I didn't, I turned back around. I didn't know what to do. So I ran off the stage. I mean, it was horrible, horrible, horrible. So uh, from that moment on, I started to learn leadership techniques that not not leadership in terms of the traditional sense of leading other people. I learned them for me, how to lead myself through a situation like that and overcoming it. And I figured, you know what, before I try to lead other people, which I was passionate about leadership, I have to figure out how to get myself into a good place. Um, and I'm making a long story short, but I, I did that. I overcame it um, and then took on challenges of leadership and turning organizations around. I got a few great, great opportunities in, uh, in, in uh, Connecticut and 
Boston and DC to take over failing organizations. And I figured out how to turn them into winning organizations and then figured, you know what, this is really fun. I love it. Let me see if I can teach other people how to do it. And so earlier this year, I launched my business full-time of leadership consulting and teaching people. So I speak on stages all over the world, actually, uh, and I do consulting and uh, coaching. So I love what I do. Awesome. Well, thank you for that summary. It definitely helps to catch us all up on on what you've been up to and what kind of things you're passionate about. Uh, I was going to ask that too about leadership, like when exactly you knew you were passionate about that because Upbeat uh, has been largely a podcast about finding and pursuing the things that you're you're passionate about. So I guess, was it that, that that was the event, uh, you know, just the nervous breakdowns and the panic attacks when speaking, was that kind of the turning point when you shifted to leadership specifically? I think that was a big moment. There were probably a couple of big moments in my life where I was like, wow, this leadership thing is really cool. Uh, one was actually, uh, so that was more of leading myself. I think the first time I experienced dramatic impact of somebody leading me and changing the outcome was actually on uh, the baseball field. I actually was um, uh, playing in a game and I, I was the type of hitter that I was a pitcher and um, which was fun. Uh, but I, when I was uh, at the plate batting, I was either the type of hitter that would hit a home run or I'd strike out. I was like going for the fence every time. So I was exciting to watch, but I was not the guy you wanted in like a <laughs> clutch situation. So uh, this was my high school team and uh, we had a tough game and it was a clutch situation. It was like bases loaded and, you know, two outs type of thing. And, and I come to the plate and I'm like, really, really not in the right mental space. I mean, I'm, all I'm saying to myself is, ah, don't strike out. Please don't strike out. I mean, I would have rather gotten hit by the pitch than, uh, you know, face this pitcher who was a pretty good pitcher. And uh, I'm thinking, why is this up to me? I mean, this is a horrible position. And I think my third base coach could see that I was not feeling good. Like I did not have the right mental attitude. So he called timeout. I walked over to him. And I remember my, my teammate who was on third base just looked at me and said, John, just hit the ball. And I'm like, all right, well, duh, you know, that, yeah, that's obvious. <laughs> but my coach said something that was really cool. He said, oh, I, I, John, I know John's going to hit it. Listen, John, when you hit the ball, try to hit it to right field so we can get a couple of batter, a couple of runners in instead of just one. And he just said it so matter-of-factly, and, and he had so much confidence that I was going to hit the ball when I had none. And I'm like, wow, it just instantly changed my thought process and my mindset. And I'm like, I am going to hit the ball. I definitely am going to hit the ball. All right, let me try and hit it the right. And I stepped up to the plate and it was like a movie. Uh, next pitch that came in, I swung and hit it over the fence at a grand slam. And wow. uh, it was just unreal because I am convinced had he not had that interaction with me, I'm convinced I would have struck out. And for, after that game, I just remember thinking, wow, that's really cool. He did something for me that I couldn't do for myself. He gave me this big shot of confidence and it just got me really intrigued and interested and almost obsessed with like, okay, that's amazing that you can have that much of a positive impact on people if you learn how to lead them effectively and change their mindset. So I think that was one of the earlier times where I'm like, okay, you know, and, and began that, that journey a little bit. Awesome. Well, that's crazy too. Just the, the two different stories has different styles of, of leadership, I guess, or different kinds of leadership. The one where 
you kind of start leading yourself and investigating that more. And then the baseball one where it just took something from someone else to motivate you and it shifted your mindset and it was somebody else leading. And maybe, do you think he even knew that he did that? Or do you think that's just something that you take away from it and he just is naturally kind of that kind of person every single day? You know, it's funny. I've wondered that and I've tried to get back in touch with them. Uh, Coach Steinbrick, uh, if you're out there, uh, just uh, connect with me and answer that question. But, uh, <laughs> you know, I think he probably I think he probably knew what he was doing um, because he was a great coach and uh, and, and he uh, he could read people and read me pretty well. So I think there was a little, uh, you know, uh, there, there was a little bit of a, uh, a, you know, planned outcome there or an attempted planned outcome. But I also, uh, I, I don't know. It'd be interesting to get that answer. Yeah. So. Well, it is just crazy to think about that it's not, I mean, I think when people think of the word leader or leadership, they immediately put themselves in like a corporate office or something where there's like the boss man and then the people who are workers, you know, and really it's, it's not just that, you know, leadership is something that's throughout every single day and almost just mentorship and being there for other people. But also, like you said, taking charge of of your life and yourself and of your brain and of what you're thinking and what mm -hmm. kinds of things you're doing. So I guess yeah. if you yeah. could expand on that, like what are some of the biggest differences between, I guess, leading yourself versus leading other people? To be honest with you, there's not that many differences. Uh, most people think it's funny, just like you said, they think a leader is somebody who runs a business and a corporate executive and this and that. Um, everyone, literally everyone is a leader because if, unless you have no control over what you say, think, or do, which, you know, is a very large portion of our population, you control what you think, say, and do, um, you're a leader because you're leading yourself, you're influencing yourself. So I think the leaders, I've seen leaders that have tried to step into these big leadership roles, they've gotten a promotion, or they've taken over, you know, an organization, whatever it is, but they have failed at leader in that role, not because they didn't have the desire or the vision or the ambition. It was really because they lacked the ability to, at the core, lead themselves. That's where it starts. Uh, people pick up on that pretty quickly. If, if you're somebody who doesn't have much control or influence over yourself and you're you know not very authentic or you're saying one thing and doing another they pick up on that really fast and you really lose your influence at that point um so i i think it's absolutely critical when i'm working with an executive i'm working with a team of leaders or a company you have to start with understanding how to influence yourself to think in a different way or act in a different way, do certain things. Um, when you get better and good at good or better at that or great at that, then it's so much easier. It removes the obstacles to leading other people because you're truly, you are truly an authentic leader. And that's what being authentic is all about. Um, so I, I think it always starts with the, the person, the leader, him or herself. Got it. Thank you for that breakdown. And that while you were speaking, I had this Probably something or a question or a myth that you've tackled a bunch before, being that you're a leadership expert. But um, the the idea that leaders are born, not made, like I'm I'm sure you've heard of that before. Yeah. Um. What is what is your thought on that? I guess popular or common myth that's mentioned a lot. 
Um, I think it really is a myth. I, I don't believe even an ounce of that um, because I've seen it. I've witnessed it. I mean, the, the, there are certainly certain people that have a natural gravitas or a natural level of confidence or whatnot, but anybody can learn how to be a good leader, an effective leader. It's a skill set. And like learning how to ride a bike or learning how to read, you can, actually, you can absolutely learn it. There's, there's steps that you can take to learn how to communicate in a different way that's gonna create a different result or take action steps that are gonna influence other people to do things. Um, and that's really what it is. It's a set of skills and techniques that you can learn to become a better leader. And I used to think, you know, I used to think that leaders came in a certain package. You know, they, they sounded a certain way, uh, they looked a certain way, you know, they had a certain educational background. Maybe they had a certain level of, you know, influence naturally in the community. Not the case. I mean, I've seen very, I used to think leaders were very outgoing and, and just confident. I've seen very, and there's tons of examples of very shy, intro, uh, introverted leaders. Uh, you know, there's tons of them. Bill Belichick is, is you know, Patriots uh, coach is, is a great example. Super introverted. You've got all kinds of leaders that are very effective. And I thought they were very, you know, they had to be a certain level of educational background. You've got tons of great, un incredible leaders that never graduated high school. Um, so it, it really uh, debunks that whole concept and, and that whole belief uh, that leaders are born. They're not. They're made. I love that. Well, and as you were saying that, too, I was just thinking I'm more of a uh, artsy person, creative mindset, definitely right brain. Uh, but I, I went right to thinking about Simon Cowell, right? That I think he might be a good example, uh, for this, for this point. I've never seen the guy sing. I've never seen him do any of the acts that have happened on America's Got Talent or on American Idol or on any of those shows, but he's like still their leader. You know, he, he created their, the show, he created the, the platform. He, coaches people, he creates bands, he creates musicians, he gives them uh, a, a direction to go, he coaches them through what they're doing, but he himself is not like the knowledgeable person or the, or the talented person when it comes to singing and doing mm -hmm. those specific things, which is fascinating to think about too. Yeah, it really is. That's a great example. You know, there's somebody who's so good at making things happen and has a clear vision. And when you combine somebody that's got a clear vision and ha he wanted to create a platform where people's talent could be showcased and careers could be born, and they certainly were. Um, and of course, in the in the in the on that journey, he's made a ton of money and had a lot of self benefit from that, deservingly so. Uh, but there's somebody who people are attracted to people who make things happen, who can overcome obstacles, uh, because 99% of people can't, you know, most people are not doers. So when you have somebody that is a doer, it's an attractive trait. It's somebody who, okay, oh, hey, I want to, with this person, it just, they make stuff happen. They, you know, they say something and then they do it. Whereas most people say something, they never do it. Uh, I wonder how many other ideas, how many other people had that idea to do this, you know, America's Got Talent type of thing or, or uh, uh, what was the first, the first name of it was. Um, the first um, one he did. American, American Idol, Idol, American Idol. Yeah. 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 Uh, so, you know, how many other people had an idea like that? They may not have just implemented it. But the other thing that makes Simon Cowell, I think, a, an influential person He's got the competency and the skill of being able to identify who's got talent and who's got certain um, longevity and, and a long runway ahead of them. 
And he's also incredibly honest, right? He's brutally honest at times. But that shows you, you know, people are looking for authenticity. They don't want, sometimes they need what they, what they want is not what they really need. What they need sometimes is that, that tough love because they know that critical feedback also comes with, uh, you know, a, a motive to help them get better. And they also know when they get positive feedback, it's real positive feedback. It's worth more than maybe coming from some of the other judges that may give that feedback almost artificially positively all the time, you know? So I think that's also a way to develop a certain level of influence is just, you've got to be just ultra, ultra honest and candid. I love that the the word authentic or authenticity keeps coming up uh, in this episode. It makes me makes me think like, how can someone know? Cause I know for me, I've struggled with this too, but like how, how can someone know their, like which version of themselves is like the true authentic self? And then is it okay to like turn that on and off or is it okay to have different versions of yourself kind of a thing? Because I liken it to my beatboxing and speaking career, like, and podcasting too. I feel like when I'm super zeroed in on a podcast or when I'm going up on stage to beatbox or speak to to an audience, I'm like the I'm like the most hype, like outgoing person in the world. <laughs> it mm-hmm. feels like, yeah. um, but then most of the time, actually, though, I'm very like you mentioned earlier of different leaders and stuff. I'm very kind of shy, and I don't really talk that much. <laughs> and sometimes mm-hmm. I have that like resting mean face. You know, I don't look as mm-hmm. approachable. And so it's like, why is it that one side of me is so like unapproachable and the other side of me is like so outgoing and fun and like pursuing a, a path that no one would really even think to think of me pursuing if they were just to see me? Yeah. Well, it's inter- it's interesting. And you bring up something that's, that's close to my heart because I dealt with that for many years too. Uh, you know, one of those is, is really more authentically you and, and it's okay to have certain parts of you come out more in different settings. I think every human is like that. You're more comfortable in certain settings. You're going to be maybe more uh, easygoing. You're going to, you know, be more, more able to laugh and relax, more fun. Um, others you may not be able to, and that's natural. But I think there's a line where when you try to be somebody different in different settings, which I did when I was early in my career, I remember I just I learned from a leader who is very, uh, a very commanding leadership style, very, you know, what we call S1, very directive and do this and, and very tough, really tough, low relationship, high task oriented. So I and he was very effective. So I just assumed that was the style I had to have. And so I did. I would never very rarely would I smile. I wouldn't I'd never crack a joke. I was just very, I was tough. People looked at me as tough. Wow, he's a tough leader, high expectations. It was effective for a while, but I remember I was at a, I had a social gathering, a holiday party or something in my place. And, and so all my people came over to my place and, and my wife at the time was there. And I remember them, I think it was her telling a story or something. And my, one of my advisors, people that work for me was like, what, that, doesn't sound anything like John. What? He does that? And she's like, yeah, what do you think he does? You know, and, and all of a sudden it became really obvious that there were these two John Loritos that were being described that were very different, one in work and one outside of work. And they're like, eh, I could almost see the confused look on their faces. Like, what? Who are, wait, which one is you? <laughs> you know, are we seeing the real one or is she seeing the, real, seeing the real one? And it was a big light bulb moment at that point. I'm like, okay, this is not good because the person that I was, was the one outside of work. The one inside of work wasn't me. That was who I was thinking I needed to be. 
But as soon as I started to relax and be myself, it was an amazing thing that happened. What I found is I dropped my guard. I let my real self come out a little bit. I thought, I, what I thought was going to happen was my level of influence and the respect that people had for me would drop and they wouldn't do the things that I was, you know, trying to get them to do and go in a certain direction. It was the total opposite. They became more loyal to me. The trust level was built up. They felt more approachable. I've, they, they looked at me as being more approachable, more relatable, more authentic, and all of a sudden, our results as a team went through the roof. And I'm like, wow, number one, I love this because I can be my true self and I'm getting better results. So there's no more of these two Johns floating around there. And it was a big, big turning point in my career. Awesome. Yeah. So kind of, if I'm understanding correctly, like the more authentic you are, uh, the more influence you'll be able to have or more impact you'll yeah. be able to have in a way. Well, well, and think about somebody like Gary V. Uh, you know, if you've ever watched his, his shows, I mean, he's the most relaxed, like, so like, doesn't care, doesn't give a crap about anything or anybody or what they say. I mean, you know, he's spouting off all kinds of words and stuff like that. But wow, he's authentic, right? You get the sense that whether you, you know, saw him, you know, watching a game on Sunday afternoon or, or uh, actually doing a keynote presentation, you're seeing the exact same guy to the point where he doesn't dress any differently. He doesn't, you know, go miss air any differently. He doesn't speak any differently. I mean, that's as real as real gets. And he has an, a massive following for that reason because they're like, okay, this guy is literally – you feel like you're just peering into his living room every time he talks. You're just, you're seeing this total real down earth guy. So that's a great example. Yeah. I, I'm a huge fan of Gary Vaynerchuk. I've mentioned his name on, on this podcast many times before. So hopefully yeah. the listeners will know exactly who, who you were talking about too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's He's fantastic. He's a good example of, of authenticity. Uh, mm -hmm. But something else that you, you brought up that, that sparked a new thought in my mind was just the difference maybe of the, the different kinds of leadership styles, but also the different kinds of ways to receive being taught by a leader. I don't know if I'm saying that right, but one of the examples that came up in my head is I used to play sports in like middle school, high school. I was basketball and football and I also did drama and marching band and all that stuff. But the thing is with me is I did not respond well. Like I loved football and I was big enough to kind of push people around, <laughs> but I did not respond well to the tough guy coaching, you know, the zero relations and just all orders and task driven. Um, I didn't respond well to that. So is, so I guess a, a question to come out of this would be, do you think really good leaders like have one specific leadership style that they stick to and it just, you have to get the right people to teach? Or do you think it's more beneficial to learn how to almost adapt to the person that you're, you're teaching and be able to tap into different kinds of styles? Um, definitely the latter. And it's interesting. I'll share an interesting stat. 54% of leaders only use one uh, style of leadership. And there's multiple, there's many, many styles. So, and that would almost be like a baseball pitcher who only has one pitch or mm. a singer. We're talking about, you know, Simon Cowell, a singer who has one note, like it would not go well, right? You've got to have yeah. versatility. And, um, and, and only 1% of leaders are capable of using four or more styles. So what you're talking about there is it's the responsibility of the leader 
to be able to adapt his or her style to fit the person that they're influencing or, or leading because the, the follower is the one that has really the say they're the one that chooses whether they're going to, uh, they're going to follow or this leader or, you know, they're ultimately the one who's making the buying decision, so to speak. So, yeah. So I, to your question, definitely leaders need to be really good at being able to identify um, the different style and the readiness level of the person and adapt their style. Cause like you said, you know, Hey, listen, you don't, you don't deal well with that. I didn't deal well with that either. When I got beat over the head all the time, when I was brand new in the business, I would shut down. I would close off. I just didn't, I want to hear it anymore. And for me, I needed something different. I needed to be able to be told what I was doing right and catch me doing something right. Not just the stuff I'm doing wrong. And uh, my leader at times missed the mark on that. So, yeah. Uh, so you say only 1% of leaders are, you said, capable of tapping into four different kinds mm, correct. Uh, of leadership styles. I guess, is there any kind of way uh, that we can know what kind of leader we are? Well, it's interesting. So there's there's six different styles of leadership, and I teach these. Uh, and and it's it's very it's usually when I go through the whole thing, and it's usually it's a long conversation, but it's it's pretty apparent to somebody. Oh, okay, yep, that's the style that I am. They're usually a blend of a couple different styles. And and and, and I'll I'll say this: if somebody somebody goes to my website, which is Lurito Group, L-A-U-R-I-T-O Group, G-R-O-U-P.com, then uh, they can just, uh, I don't know if it's up there on the website, but they can just request that information. I'll send that to them, uh, the leadership styles, because it's really fascinating. So when you figure out who you are mostly, you also can figure out, okay, I need a little bit more of the affiliative leadership style. And here's what it sounds like to be an affiliative leader. You can actually practice it. Or, hey, I need to be a little bit more visionary. You can actually work on techniques and build those skill sets to be more of a visionary uh, leader. So it's just very different um, to, it's like learning a new language. Uh, It's like learning a new uh, subject in school you learn it and then you develop it. You learn how to use it. And then it's like, okay, I got it. Now I understand how to do this. Got it. Awesome. Well, thanks for sharing that. And I'll definitely put that in the intro and outro too, to go to your website and, and request that and to uh, maybe watch some of the videos too, that you have there. I'm sure you've got some videos up about it. (laughs) Yeah. And I've got some podcast episodes on it too. Yeah. Awesome. Well, what are some things that we can do uh, if we're very new to even just thinking about being a better leader? What are some of the things we could just start doing today to improve what kind of leaders we are, even when it comes to just leading ourselves better? Mm -hmm. I think the first thing is to build a level of awareness. So I would ask yourself the question, who's the best leader I know? And that could be a parent, it could be a relative, it could be a sibling, it could be a teacher, it could be a coach, it could be a business leader, it could be anybody. So who's the best leader that I know in terms of who's influenced me and why? Why are they so effective? What is it specifically that they do or say or how do they act in certain situations? And you can almost create a list of it. Well, this is they do this. And when I do this, this is what they say. And they're always there for me, whatever that is. And then think about the opposite side. Who's, who's the worst leader you know? We've all had bad ones, whether it's a teacher, a coach, a business leader, whatever. And why? 
you know, so that coach that you had that was hard on you, whatever, what were the reasons? What happened when they were really beating on you or whatever it was or delivering a certain message? What did you do? How did it make you feel? Because you can learn so much. You can learn almost as much, if not more, maybe by a bad leader than you can as a good, from a good leader. So some people feel like, hey, I really haven't gotten the advantage of having great leaders. Well, if you've had bad leaders, you've actually had an, an advantage because you know what it's like. When I had bad leaders, I was like, okay, I know this is not what I'm going to do. And here's why. I know when this leader told me that their bonus was on the line and I needed to perform better so they get a bigger bonus. Um, I knew that that just made me almost do the opposite. I'm like, I don't, really don't care about your bonus. I mean, I'm, tr- I'm trying to make my ends meet and keep a roof over my head. And you're telling me about your bonus so you can buy your next car. You know, I know that, you know, calling me out in public because I didn't do something right in front of all my peers backfired too, because I got angry and resentful and spiteful. And, you know, so you kind of learn that way, what the things are that are really going to make you uh, turn you into the ideal leader, the list of things you want to do and the list of things you don't want to do. So long answer to your short question, but I would start with that. And then I'm a big believer that reading is always great. You can read a ton of great leadership books, but I, I will tell you, I've read so many great books and I get done with the book and I'm like, okay, that was great. But now what, what do I do? Like, I don't even know. How do I, how do I do something with this? So there's only so much reading you can do. I tell people, you know, there's only so much reading you can do about leading, get out there and lead and then become the leader that other people want to read about. Um, you know, get out there and, and influence somebody. I don't care. Break big, run for class president, run for, you know, take on a new mentorship role, formal or informal, try to influence somebody positively in some way. And as we talked about, first and foremost, start with yourself, lead yourself, practice some of the things you read about and learn about, and you'll see how good they work when you start to get them down right. Definitely. It's about showing up and just starting to to do things. You know, I think back to when I first started this podcast, I was terrified to to do it, but I did it. And now it's like one of the best things that I've ever done. So yeah. I'm super glad that I did that. But and yes. me too. I you know, not to cut you off, but I, you know, we were talking about Kevin Palmieri. Kevin, you know, I was scared to death too. I'd done all these things that spoken on stages in front of 3000 people. The thought of doing a podcast scared the crap out of me. And I'm like, okay, well, there's so much I don't know about this. And I don't know how I feel about putting myself on social media, doing all these videos and stuff like that. And, you know, you know how it is. Uh, you're going to get feedback and instant feedback and see numbers of people, how much they like you. And uh, he was a leader to me. He influenced me. He pushed me, helped me do something I wouldn't have other, otherwise done or would have done not as quickly. Um, so that's, it's really about helping people do the things that they're not willing to do themselves. And to your point, you know, somebody told me a saying a long time ago, I, I've read this or heard this, you learn to play the tuba by playing the tuba. You have to play, you have to pick up the instrument and play it to learn. You can't read about how to play it. You got to do it. So you learn how to be a good leader by doing it. You learn how to be a good podcaster by doing it, not reading about it. Which then goes back to kind of a previous point you made of uh, just being aware, being self-aware and like, when, when you pick up the tuba, well, first of all, you're being aware like, hey, in order to learn the tuba, I've just got to do this and you're being mindful of it. And then when you start doing it, you have to start being aware of what things worked and what things didn't work and actively trying to improve that. Exactly. And that's exactly right. You become, you become what's called consciously incompetent. 
which means you now are aware of what you're doing wrong. Uh, whereas before you play the tube, you don't even know you're unconsciously incompetent. I don't even know. I don't know when I hit this button, what it sounds like. I don't know how hard I need to breathe into it. Uh, you know, I played the saxophone for a number of years and wow, you go through a big learning curve with that. Um, but that's what happens when you finally pick up the instrument or you're trying to learn to fly a plane, you fly the plane, you learn what it feels like, you know, in your hand and how it feels to turn it and everything. Um, you can't get that unless you do it. You got to put your hands on it. I actually played the saxophone too, all through elementary school, middle school, and high school. So you did? Wow. Would you play the alto or? It was alto. I did. I tried out every single one of them, but mainly alto. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I played the alto. I always wanted to do the tenor or the baritone, but uh, I didn't get that far. (laughs) I wanted, I actually wanted to try the soprano, but my school never had a soprano sax and I wasn't going to buy one. So (laughs) yeah, right. That's a money limiter. (laughs) Yeah. Super expensive. Yeah. Uh, well, I want to make sure uh, we drive this home, but do, do you have any other things that you want to make sure you bring up on the podcast that maybe I haven't asked about? You know, I, I, this is great, and I love having these conversations, and uh, I think we brought up a lot of great things. I think the one thing I get a lot of times, I think people get frustrated because they're trying to think about Okay, how long does this take to learn how to become a great leader, and what do you, what do you, what's really involved? And my answer is, it's not a destination. It's not like you're done. It's not like, okay, if you get an MBA after two years or three years, it doesn't work that way. You don't get a certificate saying you're a great leader. Becoming a great leader is a journey and you've got to embrace the journey and realize, you know, I'm still on it. I've been doing this 25 years. I'm still on it. And I'm getting, I know in two years, I'm going to be a much better leader than I am today. Um, And all it is, is about getting 1% better every week. Can you get 1% better? Am I 1% better this week than I was last week? I don't care in what, whatever way, it it doesn't matter in any way. Am I 1% better? If that's the case, I'm growing, I'm moving in the right direction and I'm right on track. And if you stay on that, you're going to be exponentially quantum leaps ahead in a few years. You won't even be able to recognize yourself anymore. Which I would say too, this is just me throwing things out there and hoping that it's somewhat uh, somewhat accurate. But the more you do that too, the more you just naturally are a leader to other people who are kind of following in your footsteps. You know, The more you pursue something, the more other people look at you as someone who they can follow and you bring comfort to them. Absolutely. Totally. And that's the thing. That's what is exciting about this. You learn how to have a positive impact on one person, then two people, then five people, then 10, then 50, then 100. Before you know it, you're having a major impact on on the world around you. It's pretty cool. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for doing this whole upbeat episode with me. Uh, I've got a segment that I do here at the end that I call the upbeat seat. Uh, Do you care if we run through those quick questions real quick? Yeah, sure. You got it. John, what makes you upbeat? I think I wake up every day. I'm grateful for what I have and uh, being grateful for what you have makes you upbeat. Awesome. And what, or or I guess who rather, uh, is your number one influence? I've got so many of them. You know, it's funny. I've been asked this question. I don't know if I can narrow it down to one person. Um, I guess I don't mean this to come out the wrong way, but I guess myself, I just learned from a lot of people. So I guess I push myself to change or adapt based on how I feel about what I'm taking in. I feel like that's uh, what a a perfect leader would say. (laughs) A true true leader, someone definitely taking initiative (laughs) for themselves. Um, What music do you listen to to stay upbeat and motivated? 
I like classic rock. I mean, I, I, I love, uh, I, you know, I love a big mix, uh, everything from like Pearl jam to, uh, you know, old Michael Jackson stuff and like, uh, you know, OAR and, uh, killers and everything. So pretty wide mix. Love that. Uh, I guess what would be the perfect song, uh, to introduce you as you walk up on stage, one of your speaking events. Oh man, I love I love Dreams by Van Halen. That one I used to play all the time when I was working out, driving in the car fast, uh, and the video with the the uh, Blue Angels fighter jets flying in formation. So I'd say Dreams. What's your favorite word? Impact. Impact. How come? I think I say it a lot, <laughs> so it just rolls off my tongue a lot, <laughs> tongue pretty easily. Awesome. That's my favorite word that I'm allowed to say on this podcast. But <laughs> uh, do you have a favorite TV show? Oh man, I loved uh, Seinfeld and uh, those from you know back in the day, Friends and Cheers. Uh, I'm watching Ozark now. I'm, I'm kind of I go through my periods where I watch some TV. I usually don't watch too much, but I'm watching uh, catching up on Ozark. Have you seen that? I haven't, but I've actually heard from a few previous guests too about that show and I just need to get on it. <laughs> yeah. That and Breaking Bad. If you haven't seen Breaking Bad, that's incredible. Awesome. Yeah. I haven't seen either of those. So I should, I yeah, should start with it. Breaking Bad. That's yeah. That's one you don't want to miss. A uh, favorite social media platform and just where people can get in touch with you. You know, I'm on LinkedIn a lot. That's probably where I do most of my stuff. So they can find me, John Larito, L-A-U-R-I-T-O. Uh, I do some stuff on Instagram and Facebook too. So any of those three. Awesome. Well, thanks again for being on Upbeat. I usually close this out by beatboxing the guest's name. So I'll do a quick beatbox with your name in it. Awesome, man. John Larido. Wow, dude, that was amazing. <laughs> Thank you. I, I oh, hope you my. heard it all. Zoom has been cutting cutting out on some of that recently. It so. went low a little bit there in the middle, but I, I hope it recorded. But I heard most of it. That was unreal. <laughs> I love it, man. <laughs> awesome. Well, thanks again for, for being on the show, John. I appreciate it. Thanks, Parker. This was awesome, man. I really appreciate you having me on. This is Upbeat with beatboxer, musician, speaker, and show host, Parker Kerr. Subscribe at parkerk.co.